Lucia, uh, one of my good buddies, good friends, but also a council member at our church. He's part of the covering of this church. Uh, he was in the very beginning, one of the first 27 people that uh, was in our house on a Monday uh, praying and crying for you and for this church. And so uh, a while ago, I asked him, hey, would you actually think about speaking to our church? One of the reasons, I just want to hear this, there's a couple things, I have, I have three reasons, okay? One is, is whenever I preach, I'll just be honest, hey, love God, do this with your life, everybody's like, hello, you're like paid to be holy, I mean, you're a pastor, you don't understand what it's like to be in the corporate world, you don't know what it's like to live uh, outside of these church walls, and to be honest, I, I, I had other jobs besides church jobs, but at the same time, I think there's something about somebody who is uh, living in the midst of the battle, uh, can I say where you work, is that okay? Uh, Mike is one of the Golden State Warriors. He's the uh, shooting guard. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let me ask. He uh, works for Cisco. Second, basically, Warriors and then with Cisco. He works for Cisco. He's a, he's a big dog there, does great things. Uh, so he's out there, and he's a light in the corporate world. And uh, I thought, man, what a, what a great uh, voice to be able to share with our people today. Second thing is simply this is I, I believe that you need to surround yourself with people that just love the Lord with all that they are. And if I could describe Michael Chia in three words, and they're three of the most important qualities I have of people I invite into my life, and it's passion. Jesus' statement, he said, it was very simple. The disciples noticed in John 2, passion consumed him for God's house. And man, passion is what Mike has for God's kingdom, and I love that. Second thing I love about Mike is his kindness. Man, he's one of the nicest dudes on the planet. Like, just unbelievable. You feel like you got hugged for 10 minutes if you hang out with him. You're like, did we just cuddle, kind of? I feel like we cuddled. Um, He's just so kind. He's just so kind. And then last but not least, it's, it's very simple, but, man, there's something about faithfulness. Man, I, I know when I'm going to war for the kingdom, Michael Chi is going to be there. He's faithful, faithful. And so we have the privilege to be able to be here today to hear uh, about his journey. I've been able to see the Lord literally change his life to an extent where he has become one of the greatest disciples I know. And so will you give Mike a warm Mission Church welcome? Come on now. <laughs> I'm not sure how to follow that. <clears throat> Shane, do we record that? <laughs> Tyler, don't go too far. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. I got what I think is a great message. I'm excited to go through that with you. But before we get into that, I actually want to take a moment and just uh, thank Tyler and Rachel for everything that they're doing. Uh, my wife and I have had the chance uh, to know Tyler and Rachel for about the last six years now. We both showed up, same church around the same time, and it didn't take long for us to realize there was just something different. You know, Tyler and Rachel, the same people that you see here on Sunday, the same people that you see on Tuesday and Wednesday, they're the real deal. And I feel honored to be able to build the kingdom with both of them. Uh, when we found out they were going to be planting a church, we prayed about it, we felt tugged, and we knew early on that we were going to be all in on that journey. Uh, we've never planted a church before, so this is all new. I think it's all new for a lot of us. So we didn't know what to expect. Uh, our expectations have been exceeded by a mile. This has been a huge blessing for us and our family. I know there's probably several other people this morning that would share that same sentiment with me. I'd like actually for, if your life has been positively impacted, I'm not just talking salvation, oh, that's obviously awesome too. If your life has been positively impacted by Mission Church, would you just go ahead and raise your hand right now? Just take a look around. There's too many hands to count in the room. And Tyler and Rachel, I know you guys won't want to take credit for that. And part rightfully so because this is God's house and we give him all the glory for everything that's doing here he's doing work at Mission Church but Tyler and Rachel stepped out in a big way 
they had a comfortable thing going and they were doing well at what they were doing and they stepped out and got uncomfortable to do something and be obedient to the Lord and look what the Lord's built through them. So would you just join me in thanking Tyler and Rachel and giving them a quick round of applause. All right. So a little bit about me. I was born and raised right here in the Bay Area, not too far from here, actually, just over Ignacio and Concord. Went to Clayton Valley High School. We got the Eagles in the room this morning. I uh, went to St. Mary's College, didn't go far. Uh, my wife and I have been married for eight years. We just celebrated our eight-year wedding anniversary last weekend. Love you. And we have uh, three young children, Ella, Ava, and Olivia. Seven, almost five, and two and a half. And it is crazy in our household. <laughs> so I know usually we don't pass around a collection basket. We're going to do that this morning for us. So if you... <laughs> We're not going to do that. That's the first of uh, several lame jokes you're going to have to put up with this morning. So, um, yeah, I want to tell you what I'm not. Uh, Tyler got into this a little bit, but I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm not in full-time ministry, and I, I didn't go to Bible school. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. Those are all awesome things. Uh, it's not too late. You never know. But I tell you that for two reasons. One, uh, the message this morning, it might look and feel a little different than what you're used to. Hopefully you're all okay with that. And the second thing is, I don't want to do this alone this morning. I want some support. I want to take all the amens and all the come-ons and everything that you got, I'll take it this morning. That was a test. That was good. That was good. So I'll take that. Um, let me pray, and we'll, we'll get into the message. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us all together to your house. Lord, I'm going to pray and ask that you fill this place. I'm going to pray for breakthrough this morning, Lord. Lord, anything that we walked in here with this morning that could potentially distract us from what you want to do, I ask that you just push that to the side. Lord, we love you. We need you. And everybody said. All right. Tyler asked me to speak, and I decided I'll just take it light kind of ease my way into this thing, so I decided, you know, I'll preach on identity. That's not going to offend anybody, right? So the title of my message this morning is, Who Am I? Who Am I? And we're going to do something a little interactive first. Uh, I don't think anybody loves a little forced fun on a Sunday morning more than me. So there's a note card and a pen on everybody's seat. If you could go ahead and get that out, we're going to have a little bit of fun. And I am going to ask everybody to participate. If you got dragged here today, just bear with me for like 20, 30 minutes. It's not going to be that bad. So here's what I want you to do. I'll give you uh, 30 seconds to start. But just listen up for just a second. I want you to draw a line down the middle of the card. On the left-hand side of that card, I want you to ask yourself that very question. I want you to ask yourself, who am I? What's my identity? What defines me? What are my priorities? On the right-hand part of the card, I want you to then look at what you did on the left and if anything you think needs to be tweaked or changed, maybe there's something missing, maybe there's a priority that you want to shift, I want you to jot that down on the right-hand part of the card. It's going to require uh, a little bit of a gut check maybe for some of us. And I am asking you to write it down for a very specific reason. I think we go through life, and we have a lot up here. We think about a lot of things. But when you put pen to paper, there's something different. It becomes real. So I'm going to ask you to take 30 seconds now. Uh, you're not allowed to fill out a card for your spouse. 
We're not going to do that. Take 30 seconds and go ahead and write that down, and I'll have to let you know when it's time. Okay, that's time. Pens down. Who's ready to come up and share? <laughs> Joke number two. Uh, it's an all seriousness. It's a tough question, isn't it? There's no way in 30 seconds I think that any of us are ready to actually know what the answer is to that immediately. It's a tough question. And that's why I thought it was so important to talk about it today. We can get our identity in a lot of places. But I think one thing that we all have to realize is that we all have an identity, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we're proud about it or not, whether we're happy about it or not, all of us have an identity. And we have a choice. We can be intentional about what that identity is, or we can just live life, and the world is happy to assign you an identity. We see it all the time. Sports, maybe your kids, maybe your career, maybe it's money. There's a lot of things out there that can grab you and define who you are. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are all good things. God wants to bless all of us. I enjoy a lot of those things. It's when we over-rotate in a certain area that we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. And I was lucky enough, I uh, was doing research on this, and I thought I would find an example as best I could, and I think I found an example of two pretty prolific people in our society today. Guys, if you could flash the, the first graphic up. And uh, Steph Curry and Derek Carr, I think most people here know who those two people are. And if there's two people in the world who would have a quote-unquote excuse to have their identity wrapped up in money or fame or sports, it's these two guys getting paid millions and billions of dollars to do what they do. And yet look how they've defined themselves on social media. It's as if they asked themselves the question, who am I and how am I going to define myself? And there it is, black and white, out for the public to see it. And what's cool about it is these guys aren't related. Uh, I don't even know how much they hang out. But look at the similarities between how they define themselves. Look at the content. Look at the order of those priorities and look at what they're in. I think it's powerful stuff. And I think if we get our priorities right and we step into who we are and who we're ready to become, watch out. We cannot be stopped. We get a little clue of that in the Bible. You guys can put up the other graphic, the verse from Peter. I'm not going to wait 30 minutes to give you the punchline this morning. The, good, the news is too good. We're going to celebrate it right now up front. And I want to read this piece of scripture. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Keep going. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And there it is. It's right there. There's a countless examples in the Bible. But we all need to know we do have an identity. We were created with an identity, and that's that we are children of God. We are his possession. And we just got to step into that. We got to accept the invitation, and we got to start living life the way that he created us to live. So I'm going to get into the meat of my message here. Uh, but again, I didn't want to wait 30 minutes to share that. I thought we'd get it out of the way right in the beginning. So I got three core principles and three pieces of my message this morning. It's pretty simple. The first is that your identity matters. The second is that the struggle is real. And it is a struggle. We all go through that. I want to talk about that and hit that head on. And the last is how do you go about finding your identity? So the first one, I'm going to use two illustrations to talk about the fact that your identity matters. Uh, do we have any Kansas City Chiefs fans in the house this morning? 
It's okay. You can admit it. All right. I just want to know who I needed to pray for. All right. What about Raider Nation? We got Raider Nation in the house. Anybody Raider fans? Just me? Okay. All right. All right. Well, this is a little story for Raider Nation. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs in 2010 uh, were coming off a series of pretty mediocre years. 2010, uh, they actually had a very successful season. They finished with a winning record. They went to the playoffs, and they finished in first place in the AFC West. You come out of a season like that after kind of a dry spell, there's pretty high expectations, especially for that fan base. Everybody's getting ready for the 2011 season. They're thinking, this is the year. We're making a deep playoff run. We might actually even make a run at the Super Bowl. And if you look at why the expectations were so high, they had a lot of the same pieces coming back, same head coach, a lot of the same players were coming back, same schedule in the division, and they have a blueprint for success. Interesting to see how 2011 turned out. They started the season 0-3. They fired their head coach halfway through the season. They finished with a losing record and last place in the division. And it's interesting, you ask yourself, how could that be? How could that be? They just had the blueprint for success the season before. They had all the same pieces coming back. How could a team go from one side of the spectrum to the other? You guys can put up the other graphic. Uh, it's interesting, a beat writer for the Kansas City Chiefs wrote this article, and the title pretty much says it all. He interviewed player after player on the team, and player after player could not tell him what the team's identity was. He, they couldn't tell him what the team's strengths were. They couldn't what, tell him what they were doing well. The team had no identity. His hypothesis was, you could have all the talent in the world on the roster, you could have everything going for you, but if the team doesn't have an identity, they will not be successful. How could we make that same parallel in our life? We could have all the chips stacked in our favor. If we don't know what our identity is and we don't step into what that identity is, we will not reach the full potential that God created us to be. That potential, word potential is a pretty strong word. I think it's all been hopefully used with you in some part of your life. And that guy's got a lot of potential. I can't wait to see what he does. That, that situation, that situation's got a ton of potential. I can't see how it shakes out. There's nothing worse than wasted potential on the flip side of that, right? That's painful. Man, you don't reach your potential. It's not realized. That's tough. We were all born with the potential to change the world, change people's lives. God gave us that potential, and he doesn't want to see it wasted. It's on us. We step into that potential, and we start living our life, and watch out. All the success that you can't even dream of the success that God has, the promise, the plans that he has for you, hey, we just need to accept the invitation, accept the identity that he created us to be. Amen? All right. Um, number two, there's a study that came out. You guys can go ahead and put up the next we're doing a little bit of a presentation this morning, a little bit of slides. So there's this group called the Identity Theft Resource Center, and uh, they exist to help people who have been victims of fraud. Credit card theft, uh, your bank account information stolen, social security number, medical records. I mean, it's, a, it's an epidemic uh, in the world, not just America. It's a problem. It seems like every other day you turn on the news and there's some new security breach or hack going on. Uh, identity theft is a very real thing. And what was interesting about this study is they focus on a couple key statistics every year. They release this report called the Aftermath Report. And I'm going to read those to you in a second. But then they focus on two other areas I thought were interesting. They look at the victims of identity theft, and then they look at how the emotional impact hit them. 
And then they looked at the physical impact. So I'm going to read you a couple of statistics from this report. I found it pretty interesting. So keep in mind, these are your financial assets fraud. Every minute, 50 people are impacted by identity theft. Consumers reported just under a billion dollars in total fraud loss in 2017. It takes an average of three years to recover from identity theft. And this last one is the one that actually got me. I was surprised. Approximately 17% of reported cases were targeted at children. Child identity fraud or theft will affect 25% of kids before they turn 18. Yikes. I'm not here to make light of this because it's a very serious thing and you should go to great lengths to protect all of your financial assets. What was really interesting then is you dig into the report and there's those two sections that talk about what are the impacts on people's emotions, what are the physical impacts of getting your financial identity stolen. People listed in the, in the emotional side of it, frustration, anxiety, fear, they felt violated, and even anger and rage. Maybe not that surprising. The physical impacts, people reported feeling stress, sleep disturbances, loss of interest in work and hobbies, panic attacks, and changes to eating and drinking. So it's serious stuff. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not here to make light of any of those things. But there's also another epidemic going on in the world today, and that's that there's a very real enemy out to steal our identity every day. It's real. And I wonder how many of us are losing sleep or feeling rage or, not, or skipping a meal because we're so worried about the enemy stealing what God gave us and stealing that identity. Maybe you feel it every day. Maybe you don't. But I think it's a really valid question we should all be asking ourselves. The second point that I want to make is that the struggle is real. The struggle is real. It's, it's, I want to speak truth this morning. Uh, it, it's okay that we're not perfect and that we struggle with certain things. And I think it's good to be able to relate to those things and talk about it. So the struggle's real. Um, I think that in order for us to really step into what God's asking us to do, we need to understand what the enemy is trying to do to us. And by the way, I'm not here to tell you the enemy's hiding behind every corner and you know, underneath every rock. We're not going to get into that this morning. But I am going to speak about a little bit of truth about this battle that's going on. And I've noticed a pretty uh, simple formula. I've, I've been you know, exposed to it in my life. I've seen other people be exposed to it too. And it goes a little something like this. The enemy's number one weapon, in my opinion, are lies. Lies are a powerful thing. Powerful thing. And it starts with temptation. Temptation is the first thing the enemy uses. It's okay. It's just another drink. It's just one more drink. Go for it. It's no big deal. It's just a website. It's not real. It's just a website. Go for it. How about this? Uh, what they don't know won't hurt them. I'm going to actually protect them from the truth. Real, real examples. So then we have a choice to make. Right? We, we all have free will. We all have free choice. And it's on us to then decide, are we going to make the right or the wrong decision? Let's call it like it is. We don't always make the right decision. It's okay, we're human, we're not perfect. But we make a choice. And sometimes we make the wrong choice. And then what happens next? The very thing the enemy convinced you was not a big deal, he turns around and plays the biggest bait and switch of all time. 
that thing he told you wasn't a big deal, he piles on the guilt and shame. He piles it on. How could you do that? How could you do that? Look at yourself. You better not tell anybody about it. You better just stuff that. No, one, no, no one's going to understand. The guilt and the shame is piled on. And the closing finale is he hands you a shovel and he says, well, you're already so far gone at this point, you might as well do it again. And we find ourselves in this place uh, feeling empty and lost, searching for answers. The message gets better, by the way. It gets more positive. <laughs> I do have a positive spin on this. I'm, I'm teeing it up. I'm teeing it up. But it's real stuff. It's real stuff. And I think um, it's hard to do it when you're in the thick of it. it. It's hard to do this next step when you're in the thick of it. But we got to remember what we see is not always what God sees. And it's hard when, you're, when you feel like you're down and out to think, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's no big deal. But we got to remember that. And there's people around us that can remember that for us and help remind us of that. We don't always see what God sees. We feel like we're down and out. We feel like no one will understand what I'm going through. I got so much junk. My sin is so serious. The walls are closing in. It's door after door being closed. And I got no way out. That's what we see. We can't see six inches in front of our face sometimes. You know what the Lord sees? The Lord sees an opportunity for a comeback. The Lord sees an opportunity for redemption. We got to remember that. And we got to remind other people around us that that's what the Lord sees. It can be hard sometimes to think we got stuff and we don't want to burden other people with our stuff. It makes us feel alone and isolated. All things the enemy would love to do for us, do to us. And I think what we need to remember is that we're never alone. He, he's, he was there then, he's here now, and he will always be there. You're never alone. He's with you at all times. It's powerful, and we got to remember those things. The only burden that he sees, he doesn't see you as a burden. The only burden he sees is the burden that you're carrying right now. And he wants to take that. You don't need to carry that burden. He's here to do it for you. He sent his son to earth in human form. He can feel every emotion you're capable of feeling. There's no gap. There's no distance there. He's right there with you feeling everything that you're feeling. Even one step further, we all know the ultimate good news is he paid the ultimate price and he died for those sins. We think, well, this sin is too big. I would make the argument, we all know that sin is sin and they're all created equal. But it's not like Jesus got his feelings hurt, which he probably did. It's not like he just got beat up, which he did. He died for us. And if he was sitting here, I think he'd tell you, yeah, those big sins, I died for that. Those are the ones that I died for. Never too big. It's never too big. So actually, since we're in church, I figured we should read some of the Bible. <laughs> so we're going to do that now. 
you want to open up your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 2, we're going to talk about the story of Moses a little bit. And when I think about the story of Moses, I was, I was reading through this, and I had a little bit of a revelation that I want to share with everybody. When I think of Moses, I think of one of the most prolific biblical figures ever in history. You think about the guy that parted the Red Sea. You think about Moses, the guy that received the Ten Commandments. You think about Moses, the guy who freed Israel from slavery. That's the Moses that we all love and remember. But there's another part of Moses' story that is so encouraging to me. And I want to read that to you. So let's open up to chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 10, but let me just tee it up before we get there. So Pharaoh comes into power, and uh, he's threatened by the Israelites. They're continuing to multiply and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Pharaoh has this thought, if anything ever goes wrong, we are severely outnumbered. Like, this is not going to be good for us. I I need to do something to keep these guys in check. We need to limit the exposure that we have to these people. We cannot have them turning on us. So his master plan is that we all know the story. Every baby that's born male will be killed And that will stop the multiplication of the Israelites. Moses is born. His parents don't want to get rid of Moses, obviously. They try to protect him for as long as they can. But there comes a certain point where they just can no longer hide him anymore. They put him in a basket. They send him down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter happens to be there bathing. And she sees the basket. She opens up. She sees the baby. And she feels compassion towards Moses. She has compassion for him. But she realizes She is not ready to be a mother. She can't care for the baby. So she grabs another woman. It just so happens to be Moses' biological mother. Coincidence, I think not. And uh, he goes back with his birthright, his biological mother, and she raises him for as long as she can. Okay, that's the intro. Let's pick it up in, in verse 10. Later, when the boy was older... His mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Stop. Okay, let's unpack a couple things in this, because I think there's some pretty powerful things that I didn't really realize when I thought about the story of Moses. Number one, later when Moses was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. Moses was, quote-unquote, adopted. And we know that in certain cases like that, you grow up and you think back, you think, this is not my biological mother. 
That I don't, did Moses have uh, thoughts of abandonment? Was that the first point in his childhood at some, at some point where he thought, who am I? Like, wh- what is my identity? This isn't my birth mother. This isn't my biological mother. Many years later, he had grown up. When he had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. If you read the, uh, this same story in Acts, it says it was 40 years later. We're not talking like a teenager. He spent the first 40 years of his life being raised by the royal family. So he goes out, and it says that he went to visit his own people, the Hebrews. So he still made a connection that these weren't necessarily his people. His people were the Hebrews. He still made a connection with that, and he wanted to go visit them. So he goes out, and what does he see? He sees one of the Hebrews being beaten and mistreated by an Egyptian. And I think about Moses standing there and thinking to himself, like, where do I belong in this equation? Like, these are, these are my people that are being beaten. I was raised for 40 years by this royal family here. Is he feeling guilty in some sense of responsibility that he should be there being mistreated? Is he feeling responsibility that he's been kind of living in this royal family? I don't know, but I would think that there were some questions because look at what he did next. It says that he looked around and then he killed the guy. Uh, It was premeditated. This wasn't a battle. This wasn't an accident. It was premeditated. He killed the guy and then buried him in the sand and tried to cover it up. And I I would like to think that part of the reason he did that is because he felt some some sort of uh, responsibility to the people where he was initially born with Israel, and he's trying to stick up for this guy. But look what happens next. He comes back, and he sees two Hebrew people fighting, tries to break that up, and he's mocked. I don't know if he was expecting a thank you necessarily, but I would like to think that he was trying to kind of gain favor or do something to relate back to the people that he was born with. But he's not. He's mocked. He's mocked. And to make matters worse, he realizes they know what he did. Pharaoh finds out, and Pharaoh comes after him and tries to kill him. That's his grandfather, by the way. The guy that he had been raised in that family for 40 years is now coming after him, trying to kill him. And what does he do? He bolts. He runs. He runs to Midian. And I have this this visual as I was reading this, that Moses is running. He's running for his life. He's sprinting, he's running, he's running, he's running. He finally feels like he's outrun people. He falls to his knees and weeps. He's weeping because he doesn't know who he is or where he belongs. The people that he was born with have abandoned him once again, and now the people that raised him for 40 years are trying to kill him. It sounds like rock bottom to me. It sounds like Moses hit rock bottom. He's in a foreign land, He doesn't know anybody, and he's coming off some pretty heavy stuff. And it's not that I find encouragement in knowing that Moses hit rock bottom, but we know how the story ends. We know how it ends. We know that same guy that was at rock bottom and fled for his life that God was going to turn around and use him to do all those great things, part the Red Sea, receive the commandments, and free his people from Egypt. We know how the story ends. So for me reading that, and when I'm in a tough place and we're all in a tough place, 
Again, it's not what we see, it's what God sees. He's got promise for you. Just like he had promise for Moses. We good? All right. I was talking to myself. My final uh, point in the message is, is how do we find our identity? Because it's not like some easy thing where you just go like pick it up off the shelf. I mean, it, it can be a difficult task for us to find it. And uh, I kind of want to oversimplify this as well. We go all the way back to the very beginning. And if we were created in God's image, then how do we not find our identity in God? You cannot find your identity unless you understand his identity. You can't. You cannot understand who you are until you understand who he is. And since uh, we're in the story of Exodus, I thought we would continue. I mean, the Bible, is, is, that's what it's full of. It's full of examples of what God's identity is, isn't it? I mean, that's what the whole book is about. It's about who God is and what he's done for us and his love for us. It's all about God's identity. You can find countless examples. But since we're in Exodus, for convenience, we'll stick there. So we keep going through the story. Moses is in Midian for 40 years. He was raised for 40 years by, in Egypt. He's in Midian for another 40 years before he has the encounter with the bush. And Moses lived for a long time. That was another conclusion that I came to. I know, that was pretty deep. <clears throat> so he has the encounter with the bush, and we know what happens. The Lord says to him, Moses, I have some things that I want you to do. And what's his reaction? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to do these? I can't do these things. Who am I? They have this dialogue. They go back and forth. Moses, Lord, who am I? I can't do that. Who am I? Until they finally get to kind of a, a, the pinnacle of this little dialogue. And Moses says, I don't know if you know, but last time I had an encounter with those people, they mocked me. You want me to go back to them now and tell them that I'm going to just lead them out of slavery? And what the Lord tells him is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. He says, you tell those people I am who I am. Moses, I, I don't think he was wrong questioning. We don't want to question God. I'm not, I'm not uh, sponsoring that. But was he really wrong to think, I don't think I can do those things? No, he wasn't wrong because in his own power, he could not do those things. But he can do those things because I am is part of him. I am will be with him. I am who I am. It's not Moses. It's Moses stepping into who God created him to be, stepping into his identity. It's I am who I am. But it doesn't stop there. We, we know I am who I am. We love the song, The Great I Am. But it was other parts of Exodus that really grabbed me. It was all the I will statements. So I wrote down a couple. I'm just going to read them to you for fun. 
God answered, I will be with you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. I will, I will, I will. He's not only the great I am, he's the great I will. There's a final point as I was thinking through this. And if you think about the word um, identity, it's often coupled with, excuse me, crisis. And crisis is usually not a positive word. It's usually meaning some pretty negative stuff is going on. But it made me think when, when we're in those moments of crisis and we're in the thick of it, is it, it feels like a crisis, but is it really? Is it really a crisis? Or is that an opportunity? You start asking yourself those questions, you're in a crisis. What am I doing? What am I doing? What's going on? What's... Those aren't bad questions. Maybe those are the questions that are going to save your life. What if you replaced that phrase instead of it being identity crisis and it was identity opportunity? Is the greatest gift maybe that God could give you is that moment where you start questioning things and you start getting back on the right track. Is it an identity crisis or an identity opportunity? I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come on up. I have another story that I'm going to end on. So I got, uh, I want to have a little disclaimer before I get into this. I, I got full permission to tell this story. I think it's always important to say that up front. You got full permission. So there was a guy who um, he believed he was, he was not necessarily uh, walking, he believed, but it was time to kind of get back into the scene, so he started going to church a little bit more. Things started improving. It wasn't like he walked through the doors and it was like this you know, great transformation. It was over time. There were seeds were being planted. Now you come to church and you may not realize it, but seeds are being planted. You never know. You never know what it's going to be. But seeds were being planted. Things in his life started changing. But there came a certain moment where he was diving deeper with the Lord. The relationship was starting to form. And it was good, but it was just hitting a wall. He just couldn't seem to go deeper. I said, why? What, what's stopping me? And because we all know relationships are a two-way street, it's not a one-way. At that point, he felt comfortable enough to go to the Lord and said, Lord, what's going on? Why am I hitting a wall? And we all know when we ask the Lord, he typically responds, whether we like it or not. Whether we like the answer or not, he typically will respond. And so first it was little things, revealing little things here and there. Until one day, the Lord revealed something that totally freaked him out. And it was a trauma from his childhood that 
he had been carrying the weight for 20 years. And he committed to himself, no one will ever know about this. I will take this to my grave. But he, he, he did such a good job of compartmentalizing that and just tucking it away. No one will know, and it will never have any impact on him. Well, the Lord continued to reveal, continued to reveal, and then started actually connecting dots for him so he could see that that trauma also opened the door for him to get off on the wrong path that led to 20 years of struggle that included a lot of different things, anger, rage, alcohol, drugs, lust, even infidelity. And it was time, the Lord said. It's time. It's time for this individual not to carry that burden anymore. But he didn't know. He didn't know. What, what does that, that sounds good. What does that mean? It was time to reveal the things that were hidden so that God could move him forward. So, he went to his wife and said, it's time to talk. And before he did that, he went to the Lord one more time and said, are you sure? Are we going to do this? Are you sure? And the Lord, sometimes we know, is a God of, of few words. And he said, do you trust me? And he said, uh, yes, I do, but I could lose everything. And he answered uh, the question with a question, which we all hate. Do you trust me? And he said, yes, Lord, I trust you. So off he went. He knew there was going to be heartache. He knew there was going to be pain. But he wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And so he went to his wife, disclosed what was hidden, knowing that there were things in his past that would significantly impact her and their marriage. When he revealed there was uh, heartache and emotion, and there were things there that needed some time to process, but not long. It was the response that shook his world. When his wife sat him down at the table and said, I forgive you, I love you, Jesus forgives you, and Jesus loves you, changed his life. And at that very moment, he had his Moses moment. Who am I? Who am I to receive that forgiveness? Who am I to receive that grace and mercy? Who am I? If that wasn't enough, sometimes we know the Lord uh, unpacks things a little slowly. And there was more. The last thing he wanted to do to get back with his wife and reveal more after he saw all the heartache and everything else. What the Lord said, if, if, if we don't do this now, that door to the enemy will continue to stay open. We're going to get rid of all that guilt and shame. So he went back, revealed again. There was heartache, emotion, needed some time for processing. It was when he came home, she came home from the store and handed him a dozen white roses and said, this is how I see you. This is how Jesus sees you. As clean and pure as the rose of Sharon. 
I got permission to tell that story because that's my story. I thought I was down and out. I'd been carrying burden for 20 years. I didn't think it was doing much to me, but I was rotting on the inside. But Jesus met me where I was at. What I didn't know is that he was in parallel to working on me. He was working on my wife. He was preparing her so she was ready. And what happens when two people are obedient to the Lord? Watch out. Thank you for letting me be open and honest with everybody today. My, my prayer is that by me talking about some of this stuff that you'll realize that you aren't alone. There's a God out there that loves you. He's ready to redeem you. He's ready to lift some of those burdens off your shoulders. You don't have to live like that anymore.